0: really get to a place where there's no fear it's available to everybody no matter who you are or what your situation is it takes work to really you know examine your resentments examine your fears most especially your irrational fears and trust that there's something looking out for you
1: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. We have such a good episode for you today. Justine Bateman is here, which is so cool. I watched her all the time as a kid, and I've just been amazed at all the things she's been doing in the last many years. But first, I have to let you guys know that we're doing an epic podcast giveaway, and it ends tomorrow. It ends tomorrow. And let me tell you what you can win by entering this raffle you can win a MacBook laptop. You can win a $1,000 shopping spree. You could win a trip to Los Angeles. Plus you could win a ticket to see Andy Grammer and Candace Nelson and Amy Purdy and myself. We're giving away five of those. And you can also win a 90-minute coaching session with me. That's a lot of things. A trip to LA, a $1,000 shopping spree, coaching session with me, a ticket to see Andy Grammer perform with me and Amy Purdy and Candace Nelson. It's going to be an amazing two-day event. Plus a MacBook laptop. I mean, come on. All you have to do is review and subscribe to my podcast and then let us know that you did by going to kathyheller.com slash share. And we want you to share the show with someone. We want you to text it to someone, email it to someone. That's it. And then you could win one of those juicy prizes. And we are going to be giving away 10 of those tickets to see the Andy Grammer and the two-day conference with me. So there's a lot of goodies to win, go ahead and enter the giveaway. Subscribe and review the podcast and then share it with a friend. Go to kathieheller.com slash share to enter. Also, if you want to grab a ticket to see Mel Robbins and myself, you can go to kathieheller.com slash Mel. I will be with Mel in Los Angeles in less than two weeks and it is going to be so much fun. We'll be celebrating the launch of her new podcast plus her birthday. You can grab tickets kathieheller.com slash Mel. And that is gonna be so much fun. All right, well, today we have such a great episode for you. Justine Bateman is here. She is a Golden Globe and Emmy nominated writer, director, and producer. She's an actress and best-selling author as well. You might know her from her hit role as Mallory on Family Ties, which definitely played on my TV as I was growing up. She was also in other shows and movies like Satisfaction, Arrested Development, Men in Trees, Still Standing, and Desperate Housewives. But nowadays, she's known for her work as a director, which includes her short film Five Minutes, and her feature-length film Violet, which was an official selection at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival and the 2021 Toronto Film Festival. She's also the best-selling author of the book Fame, The Hijack, Jacking of Reality, where she examines society's fascination with fame and how that relationship evolves throughout a famous person's career. We're going to talk about her thesis from that book, plus her other book, Face, One Square Foot of Skin, which you can now get in paperback. This book has such an important message because so often the culture that we live in tells older women that they are unattractive or undesirable, and this book questions that notion and also lets us see that we don't need to be fixed, right, and that there's nothing inherently wrong with us. So we get to the root of that belief. It's so empowering. It's so needed. Make sure that you get yourself a copy. It's really inspiring to see how Justine has allowed herself to explore any Evolved throughout her life. You're going to hear how at 46 years old, she enrolled at UCLA. And in 2016, she got her degree in computer science and digital media management. And now she's doing the things that really feel aligned with who she is. It's such a permission slip for all of us that we can find our own path and do that inner work to find that authentic self. Without further ado, please welcome Justine Bateman.
2: I'm so happy you're here and I get to see your face. This is like such a childhood dream of dreams. I can't oh, even wow. tell you. You don't look old enough for that. I'm 43. I was like All right. sitting. I used to dress up to sit in front of my TV to watch you.
0: Isn't that nice? The way it was only on at that time and you had to like make sure you were there for it or go to the movies. And it was like, I feel like having a filmed entertainment delivered in that manner makes it such that we can we set ourselves up to see it. So, and, and then we're able to like absorb it better or more fully, or we give ourselves that time is what I'm saying. We're not also multitasking We're not taking distracted. In like the entire season of something at the same, you know, I don't know. Right. No, it was like,
2: and the whole world did it together and we would all talk about it the next day. Yeah. And I can tell you that I remember significantly the last episode of family ties. I could cry thinking about crying my eyes out. Like like, my best friend was, like, moving away. Like, that's how I felt. And oh. I know you guys felt it because you were all crying. But, like, it was significant. They used to do that, right? We would stay with a show for eight years or whatever it was. And then it would be, like, this finale episode. And everyone would be, like, in tears. Like, genuine tears because we huh? we were a family of sorts. It's so special yeah. and so not happening today.
0: Well, yeah. now it's it's much more... I guess focused and concentrated in smaller pockets of people who are really interested, you know, like the audience response or the reader response for face was extraordinary. It was like, it was immediate. It was full. It was far bigger and far more international than we thought it was going to be. Cause we thought this, like the idea of pushing back against the idea that women's faces are broken and should be fixed we thought that was really more so an American thing, but it's not. No, it's
2: not. Um, but it was
0: great to be able to, um, you know, what we have now is the ability to get that instant response, and I don't know I, the word community is so overused, but there's a an instant intensity of emotion almost because you're, you know, we got over a thousand DMs uh, on the book from readers just saying how it impacted them, and. That's something new, you know, you wouldn't get that in the past unless they took the time to like write your letter and all that. And then the immediacy is gone. You know, you get that letter, I don't know, two weeks later or something. Yeah. Um, so that's really, that's really a, a cool aspect. But yeah, there's so many Netflix's Ted Sarandos had a great quote once. He says, you're not just competing with the other films or books or whatever that are out that week. You're competing. And he's talking specifically about films. You're competing with every film that was ever made. Right, that's true. Right, and different, everything. you know, it's, yeah. or every series that was ever made, or, you know, any anything, yep. everything that's available online to watch or read yeah. is available now. Yep.
2: which is why I'm not overstating it to say the success of, we're going to start by talking about the book, but the success <laughs> of this book is such a big deal because there are so many pieces of content for people to consume from books to podcasts to TikToks to shows, to everything, and I think people love you so much because you have a point of view, and that is something that you would think everybody would be brave enough to have a point of view, but we want to belong so badly that we don't all feel the courage to have our point of view, and it's fascinating that you wrote this book, and I I just started listening to the audio version, which is so fun. And you were, you know, what you're saying, I had just said to a friend about six months ago when I went organic and I started eating no dairy, no gluten, I said, but why am I dyeing my hair, let's say? Like, why do I dye my hair? Like, because I'm 90% gray, right? And this is like, just like this notion of what we're supposed to look like. Let's talk about what compelled you to sit and make sure this book happened. Why did you feel so strongly about saying
0: this? Well... You know, many of my points of view are based in experiences I've gone through. So in that sense, it's like I'm putting out little cookbooks for recipes that I have made. And there's lots of different ways to make an apple pie. But I know this way yeah. actually works. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's got their own thing, you know, but but it, it's nice to be able to say like, hey, you know, I, I tried this way and it, and it really worked. So yeah, how did I, I was writing my first book, Fame, The Hijacking of Reality, which people might find interesting too, if they like this book.
2: Totally. We're going to talk about that too. And yes, I'm so glad you wrote Um, that as well.
0: I was writing that book and then I did a Google search of my name as part of my research on that book. And that was a mistake (laughs) because the autocomplete was looks old. And I was 42 at the time. And I was like, really? I don't think I look old yet. I mean, I didn't have really this yet or it this like hurts or me?
2: I like hurt to hear that you had to read that. And <sighs> like, makes me upset. You know, Cause oh. you're just, at the end of the day, like, you know, you might be a famous person, but you're a person. And like, well, I can't, you stand know, it know, was... people hear these things about themselves. It's like, it's horrible. It was an
0: interesting experience for me. So I saw that. And it really, it really took me aback. Because, I don't mean to sound braggadocious in any way, just like I've always been uh, considered attractive. Like, and <laughs> I also was like brown hair. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what I mean? I'm also like average height, you know I mean? So if somebody said like, she's an extremely short person, it would have struck me the same way. I would have been like, um, really? I don't, Right. I-, I couldn't, but there were so many of them and so few of me that I thought that they must be right because there's so many people saying it. Even the photos, they were, producing as evidence, I, I couldn't see what they were seeing. And I thought, oh, my God, have I been kidding myself? Anyway, all to say it affected me much more deeply and for much longer period of time than I ever expected it would. Wow. So work through that to understand what buttons was that pushing in me, because it's not about the skin on my face it was more about what it made me think was going to happen if people thought I looked yeah, old. Exactly. It was that. Yeah. And so once I got on the other side of that and sorted out what that was for me, I really wanted to look at in our society, why are we at a point at a point now or have been for a long time? I don't, you know, where we've decided women's faces are broken and need to be fixed, yeah. which I think I have to say is, I mean, the focus on women's faces generally has been throughout history, but that concept I think is relatively new in our human timeline.
2: Yeah, I would um, say so. I'm sure they weren't doing that so,
0: 100 years ago. I, that's what the book was about. It's it's 47 short stories, and they're based on my experiences and feelings on the subject, and then those of about 20 people I interviewed. And I would just take people's experience, sometimes you know, combine experiences from a couple of different people in one of these stories. And just to look at how do we think these Ideas got planted in us. Like, yeah. are they from hearing fairy tales as kids yeah. where the villain is most often an old woman? And I'm not advocating for getting rid of fairy tales at all. I'm, I'm not like that. I'm just saying I find for myself, if I can recognize where the idea started, then I can more easily dismiss it and go like, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Oh, all right. I don't need to. That's not a real thing, though, because women's faces aren't broken and don't need to be fixed. But for everybody, I believe there is a, if people think I look old, then therefore, and there's a fill in the blank, then therefore I won't get a job or I can't, I won't keep this job or I won't get a mate or people won't listen to me or whatever it is. But I have found that that fear is the one that needs to get dealt with. Yeah. Not the skin on my face. The skin on my face isn't going to make anything, didn't make me hold on to that fear. Yeah. That fear was already in me. Yeah. hundred percent. So if I can deal with that fear then, and then if after people deal with the fears, then if they still want to cut up their face and do, well, that's their prerogative. Right, it's right. your skin here. Well, you can do whatever you want with it. But I have found that making decisions based in fear take you just off your track. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's what my film Violet's about more generally. So that's what I wanted to share with people. Like, here's my point of view. I think it's psychotic the idea that has become sort of a matter of fact position in our society that every woman, frankly, no matter what age, has to get their face fixed. It's almost like you got to get braces, even if your teeth are fine. Yeah. You know, it's like that. And frankly, everybody's face is fine. Yeah,
2: it definitely needs to be said. And I think that's why people keep giving a copy to a friend or telling everyone that they need to read it. And I think it's the right time where women are ready to, give themselves this permission too, which is really, it's all happening at the right time. I actually had an experience myself where on my 16th birthday, which is the soonest I could do it, I had a nose job. And I'm a Jewish girl with a Semitic face, and I had a nose job my 16th birthday. And I remember when the packing came out, that's what it's all called. It's so gross. And I couldn't wait, because on the other side of removing all this tape, I was going to feel so different about myself. And I remember the doctor taking off all this stuff and my mom and him said, you know, we'll give you a moment and we'll step out of the room. And I looked in this mirror and the tears just streamed down my face because I did not feel that I was beautiful all of a sudden. And that was such an important lesson. It was so important at that young age to get it that happiness is an inside job and it was going to be more about hauling myself to like 10-day Vipassana meditation retreats, which were so hard for me, or going to be with Deepak Chopra for a weekend or whatever else I had to do to have that dark night of the soul and realize, like you said, that it is so much more about finding out that It's not the outside or a human being's opinion or anything in our environment that dictates how we feel about ourselves. It's it's 100% possible to find some level of well-being before you walk out the door, regardless of what anyone says. And I think it's interesting that you're the one saying this because I can't even imagine being 16 in front of the whole freaking world, which you were. And how that allowed you to still, even with that level of contrast that had to be there, that you could be a woman standing here who's so aligned. How did you, it's like you walked through this fire, but you stayed fully intact.
0: Well, I mean, I love the film and TV business. It's been phenomenal to me I have no problem with it all I, any of the insecurities I had were not from the entertainment business they were all from just other stuff so the film business is just the film business it's just a business <laughs> it's just a business and you it's possible to work with really great people and I have had the fortune of working with really terrific people and so I didn't gain any insecurities from being in the business, but I hear what you're saying. You know, you know, also there wasn't any social media. Yeah. that's true. <laughs> there wasn't any social media back then, you know, I mean, everyone's so-
2: comments nonstop on everything. I mean, yeah.
0: I have to say, I was telling a friend the other day, it was, um, it was the comment section IRL though, anytime you went out in public because anybody could just come up to you and say, you didn't know what they were going to come up and say, Oh, you really watching your show helped me through a hard time or someone else going to come up and say, who are you? Oh yeah. Well, can I have an autograph for my, you know, for my kid, or they're going to come up and say like, I come online and you're just like, what? so, and it's something like going through your comment section, right? You don't know. Oh, it's a nice one. A nice one. Oh, a bad one. That's got that really got me. I was open to that. Right. So that's what it was like being very famous. It's comment section IRL. I have a story about you. My
2: sister-in-law is probably going to be either so ecstatic or embarrassed that I'm saying this, but she's obsessed with you. And um, she said that she saw you once. She grew up in L.A. at a movie screening of some kind, and she was standing in line, and you were standing in line, and she's like, oh, you don't have to stand in line. And you're like, "I'm, I'm okay. I can stand in line. And then you said to her, hi, I'm Justine. And she thought... She's so humble. Like, A, she's standing in a line, and B, she told me who she was as if she didn't assume. I was like, and everybody at that point. So I feel like that says so much. And I don't know what you attribute that to, if there was, like, inside of you already just, like, a real knowing of, like, your compass of, like, what's north and what's south, or if it came from, like, your home or your parents. But there was, like, definitely... Um, That came through. I felt that way about you just intuitively. And I wonder as you're speaking this out, it's like, do you realize what a unicorn you are in that way?
0: Well, thank you for saying that. But I got to tell you, it's it's absolutely whatever people think is coming off of me is 100% attainable. I did not start like this. I mean, I, I'm sure there's, there was a, a germ of it. I mean, I think we're all come into the world like our true selves and then different things, yeah. kind of experiences or encounters or whatever conspired to, to either enlarge that or try and smother it, you know. But for me, I mean, it's it's been a lot of work, but it's so worth it. And I, I just saw that it was worth it. Earlier, early on, you know, when I started doing the work, you know, uh, therapy, a lot of journaling, a lot of like, anytime something pushes my buttons, I start writing about it. Or if I'm out to dinner, you know, I'll go to the restroom and like get on my phone and send myself an email, like writing out like what just happened. Because I don't want to spend the whole rest of the night not being myself yeah, because my button amazing. got pushed. I want to go find out what fear, irrational fear, whatever in me, what just happened there? What did that push? What fear did that bring up in me? And it's really important for me to write out the irrational fears, not the, hold on, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. That doesn't seem rational. Let me judge it first. No, just I want to get down what the irrational fears are because those are the ones kind of under the rug running the show. But if I pull the rug back and show, then my rational mind can go, huh, do I really think that's going to happen? Yeah, that's um, such a good <clears throat> insight for people listening. For whatever it's worth to people I know, a lot of people have you know, when I say the word God, I know that elicits all kinds of feelings or definitions or whatever for each individual. So it's just what it means to me personally, but in the sense, like something that's looking out for you, whether for someone else, it's at like a higher power, the universe or the sun or whatever the hell it is for you. (laughs) That's made a big difference in my life too. And I say to people, you know, people, how do you know that's real? I'm like, You know what? I can't prove it, but I know when I assume it's true, it makes my life different. So I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. You know what I mean? I I mean, what would be the alternative? Like you can assume that like everybody's against you. Nobody's looking out for you. And, and then you can see everything's an experiment, right? You can see how that makes you feel.
2: Yeah.
0: If that makes you feel good. Yeah. And, and, like more yourself. If yeah. that makes you feel more yourself, then keep doing it.
2: Yeah, keep doing I it. If I you like to
0: imagine that there's some entity or being or power or or galaxy, whatever you, however you want to see it, that's looking out for you. Yeah, that's on yeah. your side, that uh, gives you perspective. Then do that. If it's... you like the result, do that.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I I went on a two week trip to Jerusalem when I was twenty just because it was like my college was offering it a free trip. So I went, and then I went back and stayed for three years and studied, like, Kabbalah and, like, mysticism. And, like, I grew up totally secular, not knowing anything. And then I got really into studying, like, all these world religions, mindfulness, and all of this stuff. And it's interesting because Einstein, I was just reading this actually last week. I've been studying this now for, like, 20 years, like, just seeking all of this And he says that there's really 10 dimensions, but we only see 3D because our actual eyeball sees the height, depth and width of things. But really, there's, you know, like Deepak Chopra was on my podcast a couple, couple weeks ago and he's like, what do you see in front of you? I'm like a microphone. I see you, a computer. He's like, right. Do you notice you didn't say the space between you and the microphone? And there's so much more of the, what we don't see that's really real. Like it, it exists, you know, there's energy, there's all of these different levels of what the reality actually is of the universe. And Mm -hmm. so it's interesting because the 3D makes us have these egos where I feel like I'm separate from you and we're all separate when really there's just like a one There is this one unified energetic field. And it's kind of like Marianne Williamson said to me recently. She goes, if you looked at the ocean and you saw one wave thinking every other wave was trying to eat it alive, that would be ridiculous because there's no way they're separate. And the waves themselves are part of the ocean. And so it's like there is this energy. Right. And whatever you want to call it, it exists. And we're all in it. It's like a video game. And. The more we come into that oneness, it's like my rabbi said, I know there's gravity, even though I don't see it because I feel a force pulling me down. And I know there's something else called God, the universe, whatever, because I feel a force that pulls me up. I feel something. I don't know what you call it, but it doesn't matter what it's called. God's not offended. You know, like God doesn't have a religion. So, but you're right. (laughs) There's something definitely there.
0: Like I said, it's, it's, it's just, you know, an experiment. It's a, what radio station want to be tuned into? Yes. What do you want to have running around in your head? You know, because I don't know what's going on in your, what you're thinking. And with this whole time, I could just be thinking of, you know, learning Russian. It's like, I don't know that people. That was appreci- my first guess. She's, she's okay. occupied. She's but learning I mean, that Russian. people appreciate the, the freedom that they have to think whatever they want. Yeah. But I've also found, and this is just for me personally, that positive affirmations and stuff will only go so far. It's like, you can brush your teeth, but if you've got something rotting in the root of one of your teeth, no, good. no amount of brushing is going to fix that. So go deal with that yeah. rotting and then you'll have a, a different experience. So I have definitely had to go deal with resentments, deal with fears. And really those two things, if someone's willing to just go look at those things and even just in exposing them and seeing it's almost like when something is oxidized, when it's exposed to the air, it almost just starts deteriorating even just by exposing it. So there is underground work to do. It's not just I'm awesome. And this is going to be a great day. I mean, that helps too. But then if something pushes your buttons, I've had really, really good results with just journaling and just finding out what what happened. How was I feeling right before? And then I felt this way after. What was the, the moment or thought or whatever yeah. that changed my day from me feeling myself to me not feeling myself?
2: Yeah. I studied for three years at UCLA's Mindful Awareness Center just to learn as much as I could about how to not be anxious or find find this witness inside whatever i could find any kind of equanimity and there was a class that taught us that you know 95 percent of our mind is kind of a software program that's been running since we were seven Mm, and we're projecting you know constantly and so like my phone camera sees what's here and i don't i see through a cognitive bias and i'm assigning it's really like a hologram of aspects of like the past, you know, a lot of it. So I wonder for you, what's in there that's relevant to this whole, you know, story and the story we know of your life. For instance, like, did you want to be an actor or was that something your parents wanted for you? And when you were in that experience, we all had an experience of getting to know you through the
0: television. But what
2: was your experience of it at that young of an age?
0: I mean, everything has been what I wanted to do. I did want to direct when I was 19, but the timing wasn't there. So I didn't feel that timing until uh, I went to college at 46, uh, UCLA, and got a computer science degree. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize. And when I came out, I thought I would have a certain type of job. But then I realized, like, oh, my timing's here to direct. And I had fortunately already written a bunch of scripts that I just, I didn't know what I was going to do with them. And so I started, you know, did the two shorts and then my film Violet. But for me, the biggest turning point was, like I said, just starting to do that for me to become myself, which is like my top goal in my life is to become the most myself possible to have as few buttons as humanly possible to live without any fears at all. And I don't mean fears about, you know, skydiving and stuff like that. Like that's a cool one to have too, uh, to be fearless there, but also just fear about any situation, about anyone I'm in any, so that all my decisions are based in instinct and not in fear. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but in order to do that, I I had to do the work and it's hard work. And a lot of people I know will avoid that kind of work, but the reward is not even equal to the effort. Like the reward is so much bigger than the effort. Even even though the effort seems like so much, I guess it's great it's set up like that because then it makes you, you're like, okay, I'll continue doing this though then, even though it can be emotionally jarring and confusing sometimes, but the rewards are really big. So I'm going to keep doing it. I love the results. I
2: think that for so many people listening, they're probably extremely inspired about what you said about timing because there's a whole other idea in our culture that if you're past the age of let's say 30 then it's too late. You know, I didn't start a podcast <laughs> till I was 37 and you're talking about directing later in your life and for yeah. the women listening right now what do you say to them? Let's just double down on that. What do you say if they think to themselves, "No, I you don't understand. I already i have a minivan i have three kids yeah maybe i wanted to direct or write a book or maybe i wanted to do whatever it is you know glass blowing but i feel like i'm i've missed the time what do you say to that s-
0: glass blowing is still on my list i <laughs> haven't done that yet you actually hit something i, I really want to not for a business or anything i just really want to
2: who doesn't want to be a glass blower
0: of course i mean it's cool right yeah it's beautiful um I mean, I, all I can do is, you know, I don't know about anyone else's life. All I can do is share what, what I did and what worked for me. And it was just uh, at 46, I went in as a freshman to UCLA and I audited first. I audited a bunch of classes first. I would just email the professor and say, can I take your class? Like, not for credit, but can I just take it? Do you mind? Can I turn in assignments and you grade them? And um, they were like, sure. They was kind of like knock yourself out You know, TAs are grading it anyway. What do I care? Um, No, that was very generous of them to let me sit in. And I encourage anybody who's, you know, you can go audit a lot more than you think you can, you know, if you're, you know, just want to like sort of see what it would feel like to be back in there. But that'll be the third book about that whole experience at UCLA. (laughs) It was great. So I went in at 46 as a freshman. Did freshman orientation, the whole thing. I took the SAT test again, you know, everything. crazy Because I wanted to go in, have that full experience versus going to community college and then transferring, which I could have done too, which is a great route as well. Saves money for sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody's life comes with a basket of gifts and talents and opportunities and the combination of my basket is different than yours, different than Judy's, different than Muhammad's, you know, like everybody's got a different Judy has basket, a great basket. I've, but everybody I've, gets a basket. And I feel like the, the more myself I can be, the more I'll be able to see what's in the basket. Because if I'm trying to be someone else, the basket's not going to be as clear. Anyway, I say that to say that my path, faith, journey, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, doesn't care about my gender. It doesn't care what my face looks like. It doesn't care my weight. It doesn't care about my age. And it's right timing, right? Like you may have a talent that you don't even know about yet because the business that you have that talent in hasn't even been invented yet. Think about like someone like Mark Zuckerberg. Look at this talent he's got. Now, if he was in the born in the 1800s, He'd be doing something interesting, I'm sure, but he wouldn't be a software engineer. Nope. Anyway, so sometimes, you know, if you're not sure what it is you're going to do in life, just try to be the most yourself you can be, and then you'll kind of see the path. So to me, there's there's two ages. There's alive and there's dead. So if you're alive, it's your time. Yeah. If you're dead, you're, you're having another experience. Yep. That's so beautiful. I love that. That, Well, to say you're never too old. I mean, I think it's very helpful if you stay willing to learn, you know, because that can I think a lot of people block themselves from their own gifts, talents and opportunities because they go, oh, no, I can't because my face is wrinkled or no, I can't because I'm I'm older. You know, they X themselves out of it because some people don't want to be in a situation where they don't know the answers you know, in a new situation. Like if somebody's like, I've always wanted to start a podcast, but I don't know how. And, and I don't know. And if they really ask themselves why they haven't done it yet, it might be that they're afraid to look stupid. They're afraid to ask questions and all that, just as an example, I'm not saying yeah. it's no, true of everyone, but like I said, that, I don't know other people's lives, but that's, what's worked for me. I don't really care how old I am. I've just, I'm just going to do what's in front of me. And I think there is a way for everyone to get down their particular path. There's a way
2: I love there's that idea.
0: always going to be a way somehow. And if you feel like you don't see it, I would just say, just ask
2: yeah.
0: the air yeah. or God or whatever your thing is. Right. Just say like, show me where it is, yeah. show me where it is and make it really clear. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know how else to do it, but that I really don't. Or like, this whole situation seems like it sucks. Can you give me your perspective? Because I'm not seeing it. you know? So, I mean, when you ask, like, I, I've got to say the whole thing. It's not just me doing work on myself and being aware of my fears. But it's also that, like, asking for guidance, yeah. perspective, and I don't know how else to do it.
2: I love that. We had this woman on Dr. Edith Eager, who you may or may not have heard of, and she wrote two best best-selling books. New York Times best-selling books was on Super Soul Sessions. She wrote these books at like 89 and 91. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they're amazing pieces of work that she just she didn't have the thought to write a book until that age. And I love what you're saying. I once thought of it like a taxi cab, like the light is either on or it's off. And as long as you're alive, the lights on, like you got places to go. Like Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, what does it matter how old you are? Like the lights on, you're here, you're breathing. You got something, you got something cooking. You got something
0: that's here for you. And this, I mean, this body we're each in, you know, when you talk about taxi cabs, like this is just your car. You are not your hair, your face, your skin, your height, your thing. You are this thing inside inside that's using this car so the age of this car is whatever. It's kind of like who the who limit. cares? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I don't I don't think I can go like, you know, become an Olympic gymnast now. I mean, physically get
2: it. Now everything you've said is just
0: Dude, if I wanted to, even if I was gifted at that, you know, there are these physical limitations, of course. But I don't know, it's just a, a different way to look at it. Yeah. Because for someone to ask themselves like, I have an opportunity right now. Am I holding myself back from it? Yeah, yeah. Or is there really something blocking me from from doing it?
2: This is so inspiring. It's so inspiring. This is why people listen to the show, because they want to feel filled up (laughs) like this. So because your book is now coming out in paperback and more people are going to find out about the other book in case they haven't already read it, which many have because it came out in 2018. Let's just talk about fame for a second. I love the second line of the hijacking of reality and why was it so much stirring in you to write a whole
0: book about that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this. Is, while I was at UCLA, I started to think about how odd fame is. And I mean, I don't really mean somebody is. suddenly they're notorious for some video or I mean, like that fame, like that intangible, that's something that fills the air. Like if we're in a restaurant and Brad Pitt walks in and, and it. Like a wave, it just shifts the air and everybody's attitudes and focus and everything. It's like, what is that thing? So at first I was gonna write an academic version of that, and I got halfway through writing that, and then I realized, oh, this no, this needs to be a different style. So it still has that structure underneath in the book and just goes through the life cycle of fame. Like it, it begins, it escalates, then an equilibrium comes where everybody just knows you're famous. And for some people, they just stay there. Like I said, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, like their whole lives, they're just going to be there. But then for many more, for myself personally, then it starts, the fame starts descending and then it just goes. So the book is about what is it like from the inside through that entire life cycle? And then what's happening on the outside, but why are people reacting to the famous person the way they do at different points in that life cycle? And so there's sociological theories and then some of my own theories um, that I created for my experiences. And then also get into why have we put fame on such a high pedestal? Yeah. And so increasingly so, you know, uh, as time's gone on, and then de- the democratization of the seeking of the fame oh, yeah. with social media, and how by doing this, we've really quantified others values, like, you know, how many numbers do you have, right, yeah. instead of qualifying it by Actually, how what kind of person you are, what kind of sense I get from you, you know, when I'm when I'm in front of you. So yeah, that's what the whole book's about. And it's written in it's written in a very a stream of consciousness style.
2: Yeah.
0: So I wanted it to be like a I say in the book um, an emotional time travel. I really made a point of tapping into emotionally how it felt at different points in my past to give that to the audience. So those aren't ways I currently feel. Yeah. I just kind of you know, would look at pictures and read stuff and get back into what those moments felt like in order to pass that on to the reader. Can I ask you one
2: follow-up question just to get a little piece of that? I mean, what was that like in the peak of it? And do you have more of a feeling of well-being now
0: than you had then? Um, The peak of fame for me was, it was a lot Not that many people were famous back then compared to now. So if you were famous, you really were famous. You couldn't go to say Disneyland or if you went to the airport, you'd have to have like somebody from the airline meet you. Mm -hmm. And I'm in and I'm, I'm not, you know, Ringo Starr. You know what I mean? I was just uh, on a TV show, but, but that's what it was like because it was a novelty, but at the same time, everyone wasn't, trying to be famous. So really, I mean, I guess it'd be like seeing an astronaut. It's like, oh wow, that's amazing. There's an astronaut. He's doing something that's different than what we've done. And but maybe half those people coming up to the astronaut don't want to be astronauts themselves. They just think it's cool what he did and they were moved by it or, or inspired by it or whatever. So that's kind of how acting was seen back then. Or, you know, rock stars, not everybody wants trying to be a rock star. It's just, it's different now. So, it was just a lot. Like I said, it was a lot to navigate and it just had navigated every day. Anyway, there's more, I better describe it in the book. No, it's so So good.
2: These two books are just so important for us to read and, and dive into. And you're, you're directing, what do you think it takes to be a great director? Like, why do you think this has become something that people love that you're doing? What do you think a director does that makes something so good?
0: I think if one has a I mean, when you read about how some of the great directors have made their films, you know, sometimes I was reading about the making of Annie Hall so good. and how the
2: film is so good. And so one best picture. I mean, what comedy wins
0: best picture? Exactly. But also when you look at it now, you're like wait, there's so many things that are done in this film that kind of styles of scenes and patterns of speech and stuff that spread. I mean, it was like a super spreader of comedy, super you know, that, that film. But I was reading in there that, you know, originally when they were shooting it, Woody Allen wanted it to be a different type of film. But when they started looking at all the footage, they went, OK, well, what is this? What's really Rising to the surface here, what's the strongest storyline here? And they're like, "Oh, this romance." So initially, it wasn't even that wasn't even the intended focus. So sometimes a a director can find it in the in the edit. Anyway, to answer your question, though, I do believe, at least for myself, that I have to have a thesis statement. I have to know why I'm making it. What do I want to get out to the audience? What kind of feeling do I want to give to them? Not like what I want them to take away from it, like some kind of lesson though that could be in there, but it's an emotional experience. It's not a college course, you know, watching a film. I want to give them an experience rather than have them just watch a story. So for me, if I know my thesis statement, then I know, just like writing a paper, you know what evidence you want to bring in to support your thesis statement. And that's then what my film is. I know who to cast because I've got to cast actors that support this thesis statement I know what the set's gonna look like. And I'm also writing the scripts, right? So I. Oh my God, it's amazing. Every scene has to have, I have to be able, if I was speaking of college courses, if I was answering questions at college, I would have to answer for everything. I feel like, why is it, why is this being shot at this style of a house? Why are they wearing those clothes? Why is this actress speaking very quickly? And then why is the editing like it is? Is it very fast? Or do I, am I doing one shots? Like, because all of those things, even though you absorb them subliminally when you're watching a film, you're absorbing them and it's taking you somewhere. It's eliciting some kind of emotion, right? So I think if you're not paying attention to those things as a director, you are leaving a lot of opportunity on the table to get your thesis statement under people's skin, so that's what I try to do, it's and then even and the right?
2: directing—it's just like it's yeah. Am that I you're achieving and,
0: and producing too? Which is a—that's like the, your thesis statement is get this done, <laughs> get it made, get the money, get it made, get it made, get it finished, get it distributed, and the same thing with the books. Like the the format for each of the books is different, and the format for my third book will probably be different again. But it's like, I've got a thesis statement, I know, and I know what I want to give to the reader, what format is necessary for that, or what style of writing within that format is necessary for that. Yeah.
2: It's amazing how much keeps coming out of you, how many stories there are to tell, how many perspectives there are to offer. And it's just, it's awesome that we get to continue to just receive from
0: What's being downloaded So without people to receive it, you know, it's just things you just put on a shelf. So I'm glad that I am writing these books and making these films successfully enough that the receptivity is occurring, you know, and it is tell
2: everybody where they can buy the new version of the paperback version of the book and Um, where they can follow along with you and everything you're doing. Great question. Probably everywhere is the answer.
0: Probably everywhere. I mean, my publisher is Akashic Books, but I'm sure it's everywhere that books are sold. So yeah, it's Fame, The Hijacking of Reality, if they want to read about what that experience is like. yeah. Um, and then Face, One Square Foot of Skin, if they want to, uh, are curious about being free from this idea that, you know, the faces are broken and have to be fixed. And then Violet uh, is my film, that's about going from a person who makes fear-based decisions to a person who makes instinct-based decisions and how, ha- and it's kind of a map to that bridge across. And that's with Olivia Munn and Justin Thoreau and Luke Bracey. Amazing.
2: Um, I love what it's about. I love actually, after yeah. hearing you speak about all of that in a bigger way, like that, that's what this is really about is really exciting and cool. Awesome. Yeah. I love that we got to hear from you and spend this time with you. I know that you have a zillion other podcasts to do. And thank you for making time to to be here. And you're so present and cool. And you have so many fun, cool things to say. And I just love all of it. It's it's so fun. Like, thinking of you as studying at UCLA at 46 is just like a whole other level of who you are and how curious you are. And that's such a... That's such a gift in so many ways. You have no idea.
0: Well, thank you. And like I said, you know, to get there from where I was at, you know, emotionally, mentally in my head and spiritually, like I didn't do anything special, you know, like it's available to everybody, you know, Mm. anybody who wants to do the work. There's nothing special about me as far as getting to that place. You know, anybody can get to their version of Their true self, where there's no fear. I'm serious, like to really get to a place where there's no fear. It's available to everybody, no matter who you are or what your situation is. It takes work to really, you know, examine your resentments, examine your fears, most especially your irrational fears, and trust that there's something looking out for you. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how to do it without that part of it. I mean, I'm not going to bullshit people. Like I didn't just like repeat positive affirmations to myself and bingo, it all happened like that. It's not like that. But if you do do those things, I promise you, it's really extraordinary to me that you can be in the same situations, live in the same town you've been living in, or be at the same job or have the same family set up or whatever it is. And it can all become completely different
2: totally because
0: true. because your perception that's of it, it has changed because you've done that work because you unearth those things and looked at those. I find that to be the most remarkable shift. I personally feel that's, that's the most remarkable shift that one can do in one's life. I totally is, agree. Is that, and like I said, it doesn't mean you have to go like, move to another country or completely change your living situation, or completely change your work situation. It's just all this inside work. You know, it's almost, it's akin to um, when you first fall in love and you're like, everything's different now. I mean, like the grocery store even is that's the most, most beautiful place and peaceful place. And all of a sudden how your, your perspective on your day, that's just an ordinary day from, you know, a couple months ago suddenly seems entirely different.
2: That's like, I think the greatest
0: act of free
2: will is like where we choose to point the flashlight. And then it's like, I spent some time with Byron Katie and she, she makes every problem go away because she changes just how you're seeing it. And then, then the real work shows up because you realize
0: if there's no drama. Then there's I have no, to, and there are no problems, right. really. And there's no there's nothing good that happens to your life or bad that happens in your life. It's just things that make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Exactly. I mean, to me, that's... Crazy. No, it's true. So what, I cut you off. What was the rest of the... You're so sweet. What you were
2: saying. No, it's what you're saying. Like, when the problems go away, then you realize that the... You know, it's like Brene Brown's research is around vulnerability. And it turns out that our vulnerability doesn't come when we're feeling sad or scared. It's actually when we're feeling joy because that's when the ego you know the fight-or-flight response the trying to check all the exits that's what's spinning all the darkness in our mind is that ego that's disconnected from soul from self right so when we're in joy uh about eight seconds into realizing we feel joy we get scared and then we go back so the reason sometimes we keep pointing the flashlight in the perspective i think you know of things that are dramatic is because really letting go and having the capacity and the courage to feel how good this reality really can be. We don't know yet how to teach our nervous system how to um, tolerate it,
0: but we can. We can rewire that. What you were calling ego, I I call the voice or negative thoughts, and that's inviolate. There's always something that's trying to knock you off base, and the less buttons you have to push, the less effective that can ever be. Yeah. So I always see it as uh, if I have a thought that's trying to like knock me off base, like you said. I go woo, like, as if I'm a house and there's there's doors and windows and stuff. Like I got a broken window in the back of my house because it got in. How did it get in? And the broken windows for me are those buttons, right? That are caused by some irrational fear I've got. So it almost does me a favor. It's like, oh, I just thought that thought and it made me fearful and it got me, you know, like you said, out of my joy or time or something. Yeah, that's great. I want to know what that is because I don't want it to happen again. Yeah, I want to know what that fear is so that I can sort of neutralize its effectiveness next time it tries to push that button.
2: Yeah. And the thing I heard this, there was a clip from Batman where the Batman says to the Joker, that's it. Like, I'm going to end you. And the Joker says no, you won't. You'll never end me because without me, you're not Batman. So I think it's like this ego. It is a gift because when it comes up and you notice this, whatever what you want to want to call it, this resistance, whatever contrast comes up, that's when you have the opportunity to see and go beyond it. And that's the satisfaction that you have when you hit your head on the pillow at night. So it's like, it's just a dance we're all in. And When you have conversations like this, you realize, holy crap, this actually could be cool. It could be exciting. It'd be like a video game that's working in my favor.
3: Yeah,
2: You know, there's a Jewish mystical teaching that like translates to basically saying, if you took a candle and lit it in the noonday sun, you will not see it. But if you light it in a dark room, you see it. And so there's always going to be 12 hours of darkness, right? And instead of making it a bad thing, maybe it's all for the good. Maybe all of it was good all of it maybe the jokers working on behalf of like the highest good that's the thing well this gave everybody so much perspective and it was so fun to chat about such great nutritional valuable things so thank you is there anywhere you want to send people any place to where they can see violet or what they should be on the lookout Um for
0: Yeah, I mean, Violet is, uh, I should put more links at JustinBateman.com, but it's pretty much everywhere you watch video, you know, Uh, it's on Showtime, I think, and Hulu, maybe Amazon, for sure. And same thing with the books. Yeah. Okay, well, we're gonna find it. Thank you for
2: being so available to have such a good conversation. I so appreciate it. Thank you, too, for being such a good interviewer. Have an
1: amazing day. Thank you for coming on. I loved having Justine here. Here are the takeaways. Number one, making decisions based in fear will take you off your track. Question your irrational fear. Ask yourself what pushed your buttons and why so you can go about your day feeling like yourself again. Number two, stay willing to learn you're never too old. If you're alive, then it's your time. Number three, do the inner work. The reward is so much bigger than the effort. Number four, everybody's life comes with a basket of gifts and talents and opportunities. The more yourself that you can be, the more you can see what's in the basket and see your path. Number five, when the path isn't clear, ask the universe for guidance and perspective. It's okay to say, show me where it is. Number six, take your audience through an experience. Number seven, there's nothing good or bad that happens in your life. It's just things that make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable. And number eight, anybody can get to the version of their true self, no matter where you are or who you are or what your situation is. It takes work to examine your resentments, examine your irrational fears, and trust that there's something looking out for you. But your perception will change when you unearth those things, and it's the most remarkable shift. Thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me that you are in this audience, that you are here supporting me, supporting the show. And I want to show you how much I appreciate you. So we are doing a huge raffle to celebrate International Podcasting Day, which is coming up at the end of this week. We are doing a huge raffle and there are so many fun things you can win. For instance, a thousand dollar shopping spree, a 90 minute coaching session with me, a trip to Los Angeles and a ticket to the two-day event that I am doing with performances from Andy Grammer. You're going to get to be there with Candace Nelson, Amy Purdy, and myself for two days. You can enter to win all of that simply by subscribing and reviewing the show and then sharing it with someone. And the way that you'll let us know that you did so is by going to kathyheller.com share. So go ahead and do it because there will be so many people winning all those different things. Plus, we'll be drawing for a MacBook Air laptop. And there'll be 10 different tickets given away to that two-day event with Andy Grammer and all those other incredible friends of mine. So there's lots of chances to win. Just subscribe and review the podcast and we will announce the winners on International Podcasting Day, which is happening in no time at all. This giveaway ends tomorrow, so go ahead and be a part of it. We have so many good guests coming up on the show. Dr. Edith Eager is coming back. Ralph Macchio will be here. So make sure that you subscribe because it's just going to be such good stuff. I don't want you to miss out. And if you want to join me in LA to see me and Mel Robbins, I'm doing a beautiful event with her. On the 10th, you can grab your tickets by going to kathyheller.com slash Mel, M-E-L, and you can grab your tickets. It's going to be so fun. It's also her birthday. There just might be some birthday cake, as well as a fireside chat and an awesome time for Q&A. And finally, if you want to go ahead and buy a ticket to the event we're doing with Andy Grammar, you can go to kathyheller.com slash friends. Right now, until Friday night, we have a 50% off for the tickets to that event. So you can go ahead and grab a seat. It's going to be such an incredible two days. I can't wait. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon.